يا ربي لك الحمد حتى ترضى ولك الحمد اذا ما رضيت ولك الحمد بعد الرضا ولك الحمد ابدا 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 الحمد لله الذي انزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبرت تكبيرا الحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبد الله ورسوله ارسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ثم اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وان كل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار يقول سبحانه وتعالى في كتابه الكريم بعد ان اقول اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وكذلك نري ابراهيم ملكوت السماوات والارض وليكون من الموقنين وايضا يقول سبحانه وتعالى وتلك حجتنا اتيناها ابراهيم على قومه ترفع نرفع درجات من نشاء ان ربك حكيم عليم وبشرح صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا اله الا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين الحمد لله we are approaching the season of hajj and very soon um, many muslims have already left off for that journey and many are on their way i'd like to start by praying and asking allah azza wa jalla to accept all of those that have made the effort to go this year and that allah keep them safe from disease from sickness from injury and that allah azza wa jalla accept all of their worship and that they come back to their family and loved ones safely after that i wanted to obviously take this opportunity to speak a little bit about the legacy of ibrahim alayhi salam from a particular point of view Hajj, the occasion of Hajj is a good opportunity for us to get reintroduced to this great messenger alayhi salam because after all this Hajj is his legacy this is something Allah azza wa jalla had given as a gift to Ibrahim alayhi salam and in his lineage Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam revived that legacy before i share with you the point of my khutbah itself a few things that i think are important for muslims to know I feel even as I was being raised and you know we we heard khutbas all our life and we knew a lot about Ibrahim alayhi salam through various talks and lectures and khutbas but there are some important details I feel like we should refresh in our minds so I'll start with those few things that often get overlooked and then inshallah ta'ala I'll talk about the, the ayat that I really like to share with you and a common misconception that even Muslims have sometimes about Ibrahim alayhi salam The first thing I want to share with you is when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam became started praying in the direction of the Qibla when he started praying in the direction of Al-Ka'bah the Jews of Medina were very attentive 
It's an interesting discussion even to understand why would they be offended. Because if they don't even think that the Messenger is true, وسلم, then they shouldn't care if he prays east, west, north, or south. The fact that they were upset was actually proof that deep down inside, they knew he is the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and they knew that the capital of Islam has just changed. It has gone from Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa to Al-Masjid Al-Haram, it's gone to the Kaaba. And that was something deeply offensive to them, so they complained about it. Of course, they also complained because in their books, a change had already been made by the hands of human beings. They, of course, attribute themselves, Bani Israel, the children of Israel, whose other name is Yaqub, they also attribute themselves to Ibrahim. After all, Israel is the grandson of Ibrahim. So they also have affinity and love and affection for Ibrahim. But it's interesting that they didn't recognize that Ibrahim was the one who built the Kaaba. They didn't see it as Ibrahim was the one building the Kaaba. What's remarkable is that in the history of Bani Israel, in their history, the most important prophet, the most important messenger is Musa. All of you probably know that. In Jewish history, Moses. In the history of Israel, Musa is the most prominent, most important figure. And his life has been recorded in great detail in the Quran, in several places. One of the things that's very peculiar about his life, about the life of Musa that I want to bring to your attention, is that when Musa was young, and he accidentally, he was defending himself, and he punched a soldier, and the, the Coptic, he died. And he was given advice by his friend to run away from Egypt. And he ran away. And Allah guided him in the direction of Madian, the city of Madian. By the way, Madian is an Arab region. Madian is Arab. So Musa ended up in the Arab lands. He ended up in the Arab lands. And there he met the person who Quran calls Shaykhun. Wa Abuna Shaykhun Kabir. So the Qasas, his daughters describe him as Shaykh. Some ulama believe that if Shu'aib others have criticism about that. There's a difference of opinion who that person was. The fact that we, we know for sure Allah did not mention his name. He just calls him a Shaykh of Madian. So we'll leave it at that. But that's not the point I wanted to make. You all know, if you don't, if you don't know now, you'll know that eventually there was a negotiation between this old man and Musa salam. And he agreed to marry one of his daughters to Musa And you know how we have dowry, we have mahab. The agreement was, I'll get you married to one of my daughters, but you have to work for me for eight years. And if you like, you can extend it to ten years. Okay? And ta'jurani You know, and وَإِنَّ If you could finish ten, it's from up to you. This was not actually to make it hard for Musa because he already knew Musa was homeless. He's ran away from home. Musa has already told him the whole story of what happened to him. So he doesn't know where, he has nowhere to go. And he sees that he's an honest man, honest enough that he's willing to give his daughter in marriage to him. But also realizes this guy doesn't have a job right now. He has nowhere to go. So I'm just going to support him and I'm going to say, look, my matter will be, you work for me eight years. Stay here eight years. So actually it seems like he was putting hard conditions on him, but he was actually helping Musa out. He was getting him married and providing him a place to be and a stable income. All of that was being taken care of by Musa by, by the father, father-in-law of Musa But it's remarkable that in the Quran, 
Now, I don't want you to speak because this is khutbah. It was 8 to 10 years, yes? 8 to 10 years. The Arabic word for year is sana. The other word for year is am. He uses neither of those. He says to Musa alayhi salam, thamaniya hijaj. Thamaniya hijaj. There was a third word for year. The third word for year. Hijaj actually comes from the singular hijjah. Hijjah. And Hijjah is actually one year according to the Arabs. Because the big Hajj happens how many times? Once a year. So they actually mark a year by every Hajj. From ancient times, they used to call year by Hijjah. By Hijjah. And the fact that Allah mentions that in Musa salam's life is important because we are learning even Musa salam, the father, if you will, of Judaism, of Bani Israel, the main messenger of Bani Israel knew about the Hajj. Even he knew about the Hajj. And, he, and, and that Hajj can only be at the Qibla because the Arabs only knew of Hajj at the house built by Ibrahim So the argument we have from Quran is that even your most important messenger, first of all, he married Arabs. And second of all, he knew about the Qibla. So how come you don't? But anyhow. This is one side thing that I wanted to mention about the, just the historical placement of the, the value of the Qibla and the criticism of Bani Ismail. This can't be the house built by Ibrahim salam. Actually, in their own history, the evidence for that is there. But that's not the discussion I wanted to have with you mainly in this khutbah today. What I wanted to talk to you about today was actually the intelligence of Ibrahim salam and the unique, the unique challenges given to Ibrahim salam and the unique way in which he had to deal with his nation. And we have to understand that for, for a number of reasons. Number one, it's, if you don't understand it properly, you don't get to appreciate Ibrahim properly. And second of all, if you don't pay attention to Qur'an, you can come to some very dangerous conclusions. I'll talk about that towards the end. So let's begin. Many of you heard the Sunday school version of the story that Ibrahim looked at the moon, and said, oh, this must be my God. And when the moon disappeared, he said, no, I don't like those that disappear. Then he looked at the sun and said, ah, haba rabbi, haba akbar. This, is my, my, this, is, this must be my God. This must be my master. It's bigger. And then when it disappeared, then he said, you know, and he, he kept going on this journey, trying to figure out who his God is. But I'm going to add something. And by the way, these are the same ayats, Before Allah tells us, that Ibrahim started speaking this way, Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ لَكُوتَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ We were showing Ibrahim the kingdom of the skies and the earth, the dominion of the skies and the earth. وَلِيَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُقِنِينَ So that he may be from those who has absolute conviction. Ibrahim is both a student and a teacher. And one of the best ways to teach a lesson is to, teach, is to speak from the point of view of the student. I'll say that again. One of the most effective ways of teaching is to speak as though you yourself are a student. Ibrahim is trying to teach the most important lesson that humanity will ever learn, that Allah is one, that they should worship one God. But he's going to teach it from the perspective that even those who worship the sun or the moon, even they can understand. Now, when Ibrahim starts speaking, and he says, when the light, light fell on him and the stars showed up, he said, that's my master. 
That was my God. And then when they disappeared, morning came, he said, oh, no, I don't like those that disappear. Ask yourself this question. Ibrahim is one of the most intelligent human beings that ever lived. He doesn't know that by morning he's not going to be able to see the stars. He hasn't seen stars before. This is a demonstration. This is not his own discovery. He's not going out and saying, Ah, oh, God, that must be God. Those stars are amazing. And then night, morning comes, he goes, Where'd they go? I can't believe this. I can't worship those. That's not what he's doing. It's not like he was shocked by the morning and the disappearance of the stars. He's demonstrating how silly it is to worship something that has a flaw, that changes, you know, that's imperfect, that doesn't last. He makes another demonstration, Al-Qamar, The moon's rising up and it's brilliant. And when it's said again, it disappears. He didn't say the same thing again because he's already said, I don't like things that, you know, fall apart or disappear. This time he says, If my real master, if my real God doesn't guide me, I'll become from the lost nation. He's actually speaking publicly like this. So the people around him that are actually lost, instead of thinking that he's debating with them, they think, yeah, man, if he feels like he's lost, I feel, I think I'm pretty lost myself. He's trying to identify with the people that he's speaking with. You've probably heard the famous story of Al-Hasan al-Husayn, <coughs> who saw a man making wudu incorrectly. And instead of going and telling him, by the way, your elbow is missing some water, and by the way, that's not how you wash your hands, and by the way, you missed your nose entirely. What did they do? They started making wudu themselves and arguing with each other. No, no, you're supposed to do it this way, you're supposed to do it that way. They knew how to make wudu, but this was a polite way of exposing the older gentleman of what he was doing wrong. Ibrahim was given this way of speaking, to speak, demonstrate this way, in order to expose to them the silliness of their beliefs. And then he turns to the sun and even says, Hada akbar, which is interesting because you know, in the Arabic language, you're supposed to use hadihi. You're supposed to use hadihi. And you know, even if you point at the sun and the moon like this, there's a famous, interesting incident in the life of the Prophet that a, a, a woman that was deaf, uh, you know, and she couldn't speak, she was mute. And she, she came to believe. And the way she expressed her faith was she just pointed up. So he doesn't say, Al-Qamaru Rabbi. He doesn't say the moon is my master. He doesn't say Ashamsu Rabbi, the sun is my master. He doesn't say Al-Kawkabu Rabbi. He doesn't say that. He says, Hada Rabbi. Hada, this is my master. He just points up and says this. Now people might be thinking he's pointing at the sun. But when you're pointing up, could it also be a reference to Allah? Absolutely. And incidentally, if you're pointing at the sun in Arabic, you don't say Hada, you say Hadihi. But he points at it and says, because that act, he knows deep down inside, he has to use language that still doesn't come across, number one, is incorrect. Two, that in, the, in his heart of hearts, he's still referring to Allah. And three, there's another beautiful thing here. Is the sun near or far? It's far. Stars are near or far? They're far. The moon is near or far? It's far. You're supposed to say dhalika. But he's talking about Allah and Allah is always close. So he says hada. Hada Rabbi. This is the genius of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And once he makes that real, once he helps people realize this, 
Then, finally, he says, إِنِّي وَجَهْتُ وَجِيَ لِلَّذِي فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ He's not going to look for anything more. He's not even going to look, do further demonstration on the earth. I have turned my face entirely, no doubt about it, to the one who fashioned, who molded the skies and the earth. And now, at this point, I'm not from the Uhudu shift at all. You have to understand something about Ibrahim Some people think incorrectly, maybe he worshipped the sun first, or he worshipped the stars first, then he worshipped the moon, then he worshipped the sun, and eventually he became a believer. Quran, several occasions, comes to the defense of Ibrahim When you say ma in Arabic, that's actually not just negation, as Arabic students here. No, it's a refutation. No, no, no. He wasn't from the mushrikeen ever. And kana is used in, in, a, in an abadiyya sense, in old Arabic. He wasn't ever from people who do shirk at all, at no point in his career. And when he speaks publicly and just comes out and says it, he says, inni wajahtu Now, this kind of, and we know, by the way, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he was a young man when he declared his faith. He was a young, in other surahs in the Quran we learned that he was offended by the shirk that these people used to do. And they were going to go celebrate somewhere and he says, Inni sateem, I'm sick. What he meant is, I'm sick of your faith. I'm sick of your shirk. I'm sick of the insults to God that you do by worshipping these creations. He was sick of that. He was the only Muslim. He was the only believer. And of course, when they left, they broke and destroyed all the idols. There was a huge mess. Literally, Judah and the Quranic word for Ibrahim breaking the idols, Right? He literally, he didn't just break the idols. He made Tima out of the idols. He stepped and stomped until it was little bits and pieces. Because if they came back and if one idol was broken in two, you could still take the head and worship that at least. No, there was nothing left. It was like Legos all over the place. That's what it was. He really went to town on those idols. Now I want to tell you an interesting story. I was traveling to uh, Washington, uh, Washington State, and I met an interesting fellow there, a Malaysian brother, who was telling me something that happened in Malaysia with Malaysian youth. There were a bunch of youth, a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, who were, you know, they had a follow, there was one kind of fiery khatib speaker, he had a following, and he had a lot of youth following. And he gave a khutbah about Ibrahim alayhi salam and how Ibrahim destroyed the idols. And you know in Malaysia there are people of other faiths, Buddhists and others, that worship idols. And he says, we have to fulfill the sunnah of Ibrahim We have to go destroy the idols too. So just like Ibrahim was a brave young man and he broke the idols, you guys should go and break the idols too. And so all over the country, in the middle of the night, young Muslim kids, like teens, we're going out and breaking idols at, at temples. This is something absolutely forbidden in Islam, by the way. But they were quoting ayat of Quran and Ibrahim was being used as proof. Ibrahim's noble legacy was being used as proof to do this. Until these, you know, the, the other population, whatever religion they were, they got wind of it. They figured out that this is the Muslims that are doing it in one place or the other. So they, they camped out waiting for the youth to show up. And when they showed up, they beat them to death. There were a bunch of Muslim kids that died. Dumb teenagers that were manipulated by religious rhetoric that died as a result. There were riots in the country. All started from an irresponsible khutbah. An irresponsible use of evidence. 
we have to, I'm bringing this up very consciously. The Ummah today, the Ummah today, the vast majority of it is young. If you don't know, 60% of Muslims are under 30. That's the population of the Muslims on this planet. That means we're extremely, you know, volatile. We're susceptible. And when we call, when we make istidlal, when we quote ayat of Qur'an or hadith of the Prophet wasallam, and if there's a fiery way of quoting them, then you can manipulate young kids who don't have a sound education, and they can do some pretty ridiculous things, and then all of us suffer the consequences. The entire ummah is defamed as a result. This is not just one incident. This happens time after time after time after time again. And why does it happen? Because we don't have a sound education in our own religion. I want to help myself, I want to remind myself and help all of you understand why you can't use Ibrahim's example like that. Why can't you? Well, he did it. Quran says he broke the idols. Why can't we go break them? Why can't we sit next to you know, a Christian friend and say, by the way, Jesus, yeah, he's my God. No, actually, he was sacrificed. No, he's not my God. And you're trying to do Ibrahim style of argumentation and then finally say, hey, are you Muslim now? And then you come back to me and say, you know, I tried the whole Ibrahim thing with my Christian friend. It didn't work. I pretended to believe in Jesus and all of that and then it didn't work. I don't know. I, start by, I started by saying there are two ayat in this passage. They're very powerful. Two ayat in this passage. At the beginning, كَذَلِكَ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمُ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Towards the end, وَتِلْكَ حُجَّتُنَا آتَيْنَاهَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ That in fact is the way of making an argument we specifically gave to Ibrahim. عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ Ibrahim عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ was given a very particular way of dealing with that nation. And there's a reason for that. He had no followers. Zero. He was the only one that's going to believe in that tribe. And his legacy was going to go on. It was much bigger than that. They finally caught him. They accused him. He actually made them even angrier when they caught him. Instead of being scared, he said, Ask the big one. Ask them because the axe is probably by him. So, I mean, you believe in him, right? So they got even more angry. They decided to throw him into a fire. You know how the story goes. But the rest of the legacy of Ibrahim السلام, the doors to that are opened by this, by this incident. This is something particularly given to Ibrahim السلام. Ibrahim السلام's legacy, his legacy, if you want to say, well, Ibrahim السلام, the other two should do it, well, he did a lot of other things like jumping into a fire. He did a few other things, like putting a knife to his own child's neck. Those were tests specific to Ibrahim السلام. These are instructions unique to Ibrahim And actually, this is something religion haters, not just Islam haters, religion haters use. I was listening to an atheist make the argument, what kind of body? They weren't even criticizing Quran. They were criticizing the Bible. And they were talking about how, you know, what kind of book is this? This man is taking his child, and he's going to try to kill him, and God wants him to do it? What kind of God is this? Why would, why would God want him to do that? What kind of God will want you to kill your own kid? I can't believe in this religion. She was talking, this woman was talking about Christianity. But is that true in Islam too? Yes. And she says, that if that's the kind of religion, I'm not surprised that religious people are fanatics. They're just a bunch of crazies. Even their book is saying crazy things. What they don't understand, and what even sometimes Muslims don't understand, is these are unique tests given to prophets. Allah tests prophets in ways He does not test us. He gives harder instructions to prophets that don't apply to us. 
And that's a gift of Allah on us. That they go through hardships, they go through incredible challenges, and then Allah says, remember them? When you remember their challenges, and you compare your challenges to theirs, you'll be, you'll be like, I don't have any problems. I've got it easy. Because when you think about Ibrahim you stop complaining. I'm reminding myself and others. When we go to Hajj, when we go to Hajj and the Ihram comes on, and you can't tell who's a millionaire, you can't tell who's a janitor, you can't tell who comes from a third world country, and you can't tell who comes from the first world country. Once you leave the camp and you're in the you're in Tawaf, you know, or you're walking, or you're in Jabarat, there's no difference left. I have a friend who's actually a millionaire, he got lost. He decided to walk instead of taking the bus, because you know about the traffic, right? He got lost. He's a millionaire, makes maybe 10 million a year. And he, you know, there was some trucker, and he just pulled over and asked him, hey, can you give me some directions? And the guy gave him five dollars, five yard. He doesn't really think he's begging. There's no class once you go there. There's no class, there's no distinction between us. The only thing left is you and Allah, that's it. That's all it is. All of your business, all of your status, all of your seniority, all of your authority, all of it disappears for those few days. And that's supposed to happen so we remember who we really are. Just dirt. That's all we are. That's what it's supposed to do. It's incredible that in, when we go to Hajj and Allah gives us advice, why are you going to Hajj? What will you gain out of Hajj? One of the things that we gain out of Hajj was It's incredible that Allah says that. That don't say, don't, don't say false things. When you come back, don't be corrupt people. You know, people that own like haram businesses and they go to Hajj every year, right? Allah says, don't be corrupt if you go to Hajj. You should clean all of these things out of your system. Ibrahim wasn't just worried about stars and suns. Shirk is not just done of idols. You don't have to worry about that now. You have to say, oh, well, thank God my children are interested in worshiping the sun or the star or the moon. That's not the problem anymore. The real challenge now, the real idols of our time that have to be smashed, like Ibrahim smashed idols, the real idols of our time are our own egos. It's our pride. They're new idols now. They're not like the idols of the past. It's our own addictions that have become an idol. Have you seen somebody who worships their desires? You can't even help it. You're addicted to whatever it is on the internet. You're addicted to certain really bad things and you know they're bad and you see, I can't even help myself. You submit yourself to those things. That's what Hajj is supposed to clean out of your system. And this season, even if you're not going to Hajj, you're supposed to have that, that mentality even before you go. It's incredible. The summary of the entire Hajj I mentioned in my previous khutbah was Ibrahim came to his master with a sound heart, a healthy heart. Allah didn't say he came to, the, to him and then his heart was clean. We're supposed to go to Hajj with a clean heart. Not go there and then, and then we'll clean our heart. We're supposed to go clean, with clean intentions. We're, and you know what we're, Americans are notorious for at Hajj? Complaining the most. We have the most amenities. We are the closest to Jabarat. We have the most air-conditioned camps. We have trays of food being like walked through security guards to get our, you know, our camps the food. And there are people who haven't eaten a proper meal for two, three days, just staring at the food going through the, to the camp. And we are the people who complain the most. Subhanallah. That's what Hajj is supposed to be. This is the legacy of the one who was more grateful than anybody else. Shaqiban li We're supposed to remember the legacy of this man, alayhi salam, for many reasons. 
And, what a, and Allah doesn't let us forget because of this remarkable season. We pray that Allah Azza once again accepts the Hajj of everyone who's going. May Allah Azza give all of us who haven't had the opportunity, the health, the, the means, the provision that Allah provides us, the, the gifts, that is, that we are able to go visit His, His beautiful house and cleanse ourselves. May Allah Azza make us of the people who, who have, who are, whose hearts have turned to Allah and they've turned to Him in full sincerity and have decided to change themselves even if they don't get to go to Hajj. بارك الله لي ولكم في القرآن الحكيم ونفعني وإياكم في الآيات وفي الحكيم الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين يقول الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوفا